this podcast now boasts its own Patreon page. Become a patron and join us in being a node to help spread awareness and hope. Details at patreon.com slash having a cuppa. My name is Jay Barnard and I am the CEO and founder of Hype Recovery Coaching. Having a couple with Chris Nell is an amazing podcast. Chris asks his guests the tough questions about addiction and alcoholism, the real life stories, and his guests give him the most amazing answers on how to get a life worth living. I've been a guest on the show many times, same with Ashley and I, the recovery couple. Chris, we love you. Hit the subscribe button and subscribe to Having a Cuppa. I'm excited to say that that having a cuppa and hyper recovery coaching are collaborating so for all the listeners use chris nell 50 as a coupon code when you go to www.hypercoverycoach.com and pick either the journey to 30 or the journey to 90 and save yourself 50 dollars today having a cuppa is an amazing podcast hit that subscribe button and we love you It's a pleasure to have your company recorded in the mountain valley in the cathedral, also known as the Ministry of Sound. This is where we get together and expand upon our minds to things unseen and a brighter future is the hope. This is why we call it having a cuppa. My guest this week is witty, she's funny, she's unabashedly transparent and unbelievably humble. Haley hails from the nation's capital and expounds pleasantly on her years struggling with alcoholism, how she ultimately gave up the habit and how she became determined more than ever to be namely a brighter light in the community and even more better parent to her child especially after combating cancer this conversation for me hit home especially but it's funny when you think when there's someone who has followed more or less the same path that you have the similarities that pop up and the same character traits that ultimately pop through for the better and thankfully not for the worst here it comes a shot of Haley on this week's edition Coming up, be prepared. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. This is Having a Cuppa. Get ready for the show. A cup of your finest brew, thanks, love. Cheers, you're a gem. <sighs> round and round we go, where we stop, nobody knows. Best get to it then.
is Chris Snell. I've been involved in the media industry for almost 10 years. But what interests me most is the triumph of the human spirit. So off I go to Parts Unknown. This is The Journey. will lead us to the truths of the heart, taking us to destinations far and wide. From the US, the neighbors to the north, the UK, and everywhere else in the fray. Join me, sit back for the ride. Good tidings we bring. We're having a cuppa. Washington, D.C. Haley, it's an honor. Thank you for letting me speak to you in the nation's capital of all places. I see you've got a beautiful painting of the Capitol building there behind you. I'm in a hotel. I wish I could take credit for that. Oh, no. Thanks for bursting my bubble. <laughs> actually across the street from the Capitol. I am like, I can see it from my, from my hotel. So what an honor. What, yeah. what truly what an honor. Haley, to kick things off, you and I have a couple of friends in common in the recovery community. Uh, Alika, Alika Gamble being one of them. Um, and that's how you and I connected more or less. So yes. as we all know in the, shall we call it the trail or the chronology of addiction with every story there's a beginning there's a middle and there's an end in no certain amount of words how exactly would it be that you would end up in the throes of addiction and how did you ultimately get free oh gosh well thanks for having me Chris first of all I'm like really honored to be here that was all mine darling very grateful to be sitting like in a spot where I can be on a platform to tell my story because there are um, absolutely so many instances where I shouldn't have made it out on the other side of. So, um, yeah, I think um, now that I'm in recovery, I can see that um, I honestly believe that like the the addict and the alcoholic wasn't born like once I picked it up, like I, I believe that I was born an alcoholic um, and an addict. Uh, there was just from as early as I can remember, I just could feel everything so profoundly. Like I could, I, and I did not understand 
how everyone else was able to just be so normal. Like when I was a kid, I remember studying other kids and trying to figure out like what they were doing to be so normal because I was just not normal. I could not get my act together. I was always in trouble. I didn't think any consequences applied to me. I mean, like I was a little fucking sociopath. Like my mom could see <laughs> a hole in the couch with a knife, like literally see me do it. And I would lie to her face and tell her that I didn't like, I was just, I had like no concept of any rules. I didn't think anything applied to me because if I didn't understand it, I didn't, I didn't adhere to it. And if I asked questions and they weren't to my satisfactory, I just, I, I didn't go along like with, um, I didn't, I didn't conform to anything. I always rebelled. I mean, if the earliest of ages, I always rebelled. And, um, I do know that I had a lot of feelings. I grew up in a, um, American military household and my parents, you know, I mean, my dad was not around very early in life, um, because they got divorced really early. I was adopted. Um, my biological mother was 15 and my biological father was 19. And I feel like my entrance into the world kind of set the tone for how I felt like my entire life, which was that like, I was a mistake. I wasn't planned. I wasn't supposed to be here. Like nobody wanted me. Yeah. Like I just feel like, and my sister was adopted too. And she never had any of those issues. She never felt like that. She was like, it is what it is. But I was just like born wired with all these heavy ass feelings. I mean, mm-hmm. at five, five years old, I'd blow out my birthday candles and ask my mom if like my birth mother, if like she thought my birth mother was like thinking about me at like five, you know, instead of just mm-hmm. like worrying about what the next present is that I'm going to open and like the cake, like I was always like thinking about heavy ass shit. And um, my mom had her own issues. She had her own trauma and stuff. And she was a single mom with two girls and she was overwhelmed. And like a kid like me who felt a lot and rebelled a lot was a lot for her to handle. And um, she had a lot of issues when we were growing up and she wasn't always the most stable and all i knew when i was younger is that i didn't have birth parents that wanted me or knew where i was i didn't have my dad around my mom was the only one was around and um if she wasn't stable or she didn't come home because you know, there were some times when she would disappear. We wouldn't know where she went, um, that I had no one. So I just always had this like overlying sense of anxiety, like always like that, like it, something bad's going to happen. Mom's not going to be there. And then I have no one. Um, and that's kind of how I grew up just like praying, <laughs> like, you know, no one else was going to leave and no one else, um, was going to be out of the picture. And that was a lot of heavy for like a little kid to be worried about and um i can well imagine yeah um always wanted to be outside of myself always like fantasized about being someone else somewhere else i was was a little liar i like told everyone all these lies about like a story of me that didn't exist because i just always wanted to be someone in somewhere else we can um, play pretend can't we 
Yeah, I was. We've like, got this big overactive imagination, so it's not difficult to play pretend. But isn't that right. often the case? As we meet other people who have gone through similar paths, there's a couple of themes that jumps forth. The family background was horrendous, and I'm not underplaying this. Please hear me. The family structure was non-existent or completely horrendous. Secondly, I do get the feeling that addicts who were born into this, I think you hit the nail on the head because this is exactly how I felt. When you are born into this, you have these heavy feelings, just this, I want to use the word maturity. So let's put maturity in inverted commas. Right. Which places us in a position to feel everything. And if we don't feel love, what do we do? We try and substitute it with substance. And I, when I say substance, I'm referring again to imagination. So it's a, it's a very heartbreaking recurrent theme in the annals of addiction is a torrid family background and a torrid upbringing. Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, I mean, even if none of those things had happened, maybe I would have just um, made it a little bit further until I had my rock bottom, like my spiritual bottom. But um, I know that the second I got a little bit older and I realized that I could get away with things and my manipulation and my lies kind of were were fine-tuned and I could do things behind my parents' back. Because when I was younger, I couldn't ever get away with anything because I didn't care if I got in trouble. But now I'm a little bit older. I've got some more friends. I don't want to get in trouble because I want to be able to do what I want to do. So I got better at lying and manipulating people. And when I discovered alcohol, like when I, I like know the exact moment that I grabbed a bottle of vodka out of my dad's freezer and when I drank it and I mean like the second I mean the second it hit my system the second it hit my system it was like it blew my fucking head off. like I was like this is what I've been waiting for my entire uh, life yeah. this is where it's at like literally all those feelings of anxiety all those feelings of abandonment and like you know being unwanted and unloved like all that went away like none of it even existed anymore I didn't have to like be this delusional person running around pretending to be someone else anymore now I have this like substance that made me not give a shit about any of it and it was so fantastic I got so ill I got in so much trouble and I never once was like oh I'm never doing that again I was like I cannot wait to do this again and I lived my entire adolescence like that like my entire adolescence the second I found alcohol which was around like 15 I was not like I wasn't going to school anymore. I started ditching school all the time. I started doing drugs. I started selling drugs. Um, I got kicked out of two high schools. I mean, 
I ended up moving in with my dad and my dad lives in a very affluent area. Like dude lives in a very nice fucking area, right? And like everyone that is, all the kids in that neighborhood are like studying for the SATs, getting into like Georgetown law, going to like George Washington University for like pre-med. And there's me and I'm like smoking blunts and skipping school and like in and out of trap houses on the weekends. Like I was that kid, like I was that girl. I had like no concept of my future. Like I literally was like, when my dad dies, I'm going to be set for life. So I don't have to do shit. And that's like how I lived my entire adolescence. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care about what happened. I didn't care about my parents and what they thought. And, um, that happened like the second, the second I picked up alcohol, my entire, like, I didn't, I didn't get my driver's license until I was like 19 because I didn't care. I didn't go to the driving. Like, it was so bad. People like look at me now because now I'm like a professional. Like I work in like corporate America. Like I am an executive assistant and I was an executive assistant for a national company for a long time. And like people don't <laughs> really believe that part of my story when I tell them because I can, I'm good at I'm good at being a chameleon. I'm good at camouflage. Oh. I'm good at making you see what you want to see. And people are like, there's no way you're that fucking wild. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, dude, I was that wild. Like <laughs> I was that chick. Um, and I think I, it's just so funny because I, even when I became an adult and like now I'm a mother, you know, and now I'm in the professional world, there's always until I hit recovery and discovered like the rooms of, where I have my program, right? There was always that person inside of me that I always defaulted to that didn't, that was like high school Haley that didn't give a shit and just did what she wanted to do. There were no consequences, nothing. And um, well, the adolescent Chris who got up to so much amount of shit. And to tell you the truth, I still fucking am afraid of him. You know, yeah. I said this at a, at a meeting once, uh, you know, I love the program. In fact, it's second to my Bible. Yeah. But, he, but here's the thing. Even though we are given the solution, and you know as equally as well as I, this program is progress. It's not just one destination, smack, boom, bang, and now everything's hunky-dory. There are moments in life where I get these flashes of all the binges that I went on and all the bad things that I did whilst under the influence and it scares the living shit out of me. I can't put it in any more diplomatic than that. It scares the shit out of me. So I'm on my tippy toes consistently every given day and even though I've now got, I'm working on my fourth year of sobriety, there are still moments where I get bad physical reactions. So I hear exactly what you're saying. But it's so funny when you mentioned that you work as an executive assistant. I thought you were such a literate woman in the sense that if you are so well-spoken that you have to have a position in some form of the economy that, you know, people would look at you and say, but my goodness, you're, talk you're talking that you had this addiction? You're a mother? You had this problem? No way. Because yeah. I get that every given day. And I'll give you an example. Last week, I just started a new tender for a new company. I'm doing their corporate videos and stuff. 
And it was the usual meet and greet. Hello, my name is such and such. I work in this department. We're going to be working together and whatnot. And one says to me, can I buy you a bottle of vodka just so that you won't include my face in your videos? I said, you know what? I won't include your face. Very diplomatic and all. And I know he meant it in jest. But I said, you can leave the bottle of vodka. Okay, do you want a bottle of brandy? I said, no, it's all right. You can leave the bottle of brandy. Okay, do you want a sixer of beer? I said, and eventually I said, the reason why I keep turning it down is I am a recovering alcoholic and addict. And the moment I said that, he went ghost white and he couldn't stop apologizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said it in the professional. Like I, I have no problem telling people that I am an out. I don't think I've had to do it professionally yet, but I have no problem telling people that I am an alcoholic and an addict. Like when people ask me why I don't drink and I say, Oh, I just like, don't, if they keep pushing it, I have no problem being like, because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I don't drink. My son goes to school and told told he told me the other day he went to school and he told miss kelly that um mommy's coming to pick me up and mommy's gonna get me mcdonald's because mommy has her women's meeting tonight and she um and i guess miss kelly like probed like oh you know just like small chat like oh what kind of meeting like oh that'll be fun for you and he's like yeah they get to pick up chips and they get to do like and i mean anybody <laughs> probably understands that this is an alcoholics anonymous meeting right and i just thought it was so funny and i just i it made me smile because like i see this woman all the time she obviously knows i'm a great mom and that my kid is great he's so intelligent and like maybe that seed in a normie's mind that like the stigma that's around involved in addiction is not the it doesn't all look the same. We're not all standing in front of the judge. We're not all getting locked up. Some Absolutely. of us don't have hard bottoms. We can still be good mothers, uh, dressed in professional attire, you know, and um, we we still go to our meetings and we still pick up our chips. And I just thought it was fantastic. At first I was like, oh shit. I don't know if I want this woman to know. And then I was like, you know what? I think that's great. Cause like, I mean, she should know that, you know, I don't have any problem with my kids teachers or anyone knowing that I'm an alcoholic in recovery, you know, like I think, um, I think the days of us having to be in like dingy church basements and like the stigma that's involved with it, um, can kind of fuck off at this point, you know, and I think it's that's bubbling to the surface. It's bubbling to the surface. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd like to think ever since 2020, the lid has been blown completely off. Yes. Ever since the pandemic now that everybody's recovering out loud on social media, it's amazing. Very. I had like had no idea it even existed. I was just I was I was blown away by it. Well, how do you think I feel? I mean the whole reason that this podcast got started when I before I became a producer, I was a radio DJ. And uh, in the midst of the pandemic, when we were all in hard lockdown and everyone was working from home, I sat and I took my head apart and I was trying to put everything back together until it struck me. But my goodness, addiction has spiraled ever since everyone's got caught between four walls and a door. <laughs> and let's not pretend that it's not rocket science because it isn't. Alcohol is extremely easy to make by yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's the internet. So if you can get your hands on an anarchist cookbook, you can get your hands on an alcohol recipe. I mean, the resources are out there. Right. So I said to myself, on the other side of the coin, what would it be like 
to actually talk to addicts. Let them tell their story and play it out for all and sundry to hear. And maybe they don't have to say us, say so. But maybe there might just be a flicker, a glimmer of hope. And before you know it, all of a sudden I get calls from left, right and center. Washington, Canada, California, and everyone wants to tell their story. So, you know, I completely agree with you. This movement has taken hold and I... I don't want to say never say never because I am a realist in, or an objectivist in, in that regard, but a, 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 a complete optimist in other senses. But I doubt that this movement is just going to be a fad, something that will die down in a couple of years because more and more people are coming to the fray, telling their stories, hell, even starting their own video logs and oh, telling yeah. their story and getting people like you and I to tell their stories. And that's great. And the best part of it all is it costs us this much zip. Yeah. Yeah. And the best part is it's getting a whole lot more wider reach than what the mass media ever would or ever will. Yeah. Just my 50 cents on that. I would absolutely agree with that. And um, it's even spreading into like different realms like the just mental health in general people are now talking about the shit that we were taught we never fucking talk about like our sexual assaults our traumas our codependency yes codependency all the uh, all the yucky icky stuff that we've been told that like we're never supposed to say out loud people are now saying out loud and it's connecting people and people are feeling left alone and um i just think it's incredible like i'm just so grateful for this recovery community like my normie friends and my friends from high school that follow me are like who are all these people that like compliments and likes when you talk about like super <laughs> fucked up stuff and I'm like people that get it like people that know and like they're just amazed because they're still in this like how I used to be I grew up in a very conservative military household like we did not talk about our shit my mom was super uncomfortable with me coming um, to the forefront with this because we don't talk about stuff like that yeah, and at the yeah. end of the day it took her a while to swallow it my dad still gets uncomfortable we had a we had a fallout the other day i was like crying not like you know hysterically but like it hurt my feelings what he had to say because he was like you know i just feel like you know some of this stuff you don't have to put out there for the world and i was like you know dad if you don't want to follow me then don't follow me. If you're ashamed of me, you can just, you don't have to be ashamed of me on your phone. You can just unfollow me and you can just be ashamed of me when I'm looking at you in your face. Like, let's and I said to my strange dad the exact same thing. Look, I can appreciate where he comes from, but let's face reality here. You and I are both adults. We've made the mistakes and we're doing this in service of a higher power. Exactly. And respectfully, because I've had to say this to my own mother. Look, my father was also in the army. Sadly, he's no longer in my life anymore. That's a completely different story for another day. But when I told my mother that I was sober and I'm doing this, she had no qualms whatsoever. But in my career, this was still when I was spinning records. He would say to me consistently, don't put this on your social media. And eventually I just got so tired of his preaching that I flipped my lid and I said, if you don't like my stuff, don't read it. It's not meant for you. <laughs> Look, 
it's two completely different subjects. I mean, this was about talking about music and talking about my 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 DJing career, and we're talking about recovery here. But the same principle applies. We're adults. We're doing this in service of a higher power. So you don't. No one owes themselves the right to criticize you for that. And if people don't like it, out the fucking door you go. China Bean. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't have the. I don't have. I don't feel like I owe an explanation to anybody about it. I don't need. Of to course you don't. Or anyone else that I'm not doing this for me. I do this because I'm being of service to others. Like you said, uh, I am working through. I'm doing what my higher powers will is telling me to do, and what my higher power tells me to do is to connect with as many people as I can. I mean, I don't just like put this shit on social media and then like I'm done with it. Like. Legit, I check my inbox every single day when people ask me like, hey, enough is enough. I'm like sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like, how did you do this? Where did you start? I can only tell them what I did and how it worked for me. And I'm absolutely like, what city do you live in? Where are you at? I'll hop on a Zoom meeting with you. Like, let's get you in the rooms. You know, like I I do that like with strangers because that's my job. Like my job is to carry the fucking message. And like, that's why I do what I do because I don't do it for me. And I don't owe anyone an explanation. So my dad or anyone else about why I do what I do. And um, it's just, I feel like old Haley would have been like so paralyzed by that. Like so paralyzed, harmed by the fact that my parents like didn't understand me and were ashamed of me. And now I'm just like, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm sober. You got nothing to complain about. Keep it to your damn self, like, and keep it moving. And that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> tell me quickly, how long did your addiction last? Was it alcohol or did you do other substances as well? I did other substances, but alcohol is what brought me to my knees. Oh, man, alcohol. Okay, um, I hear you. And whereabouts did it start coming to a grinding halt where you said, this is it, I've had enough? So after my whole ripping and roaring days, I had gotten like cleaned up. I cleaned up my act. I decided I didn't want to be like this piece of shit. I wanted to go to school and like do something. And um, I went to school and I did really well in school. And I had no idea that I was actually intelligent and that I had good work ethic because I never gave myself the opportunity to learn that back in the day, right? All I was doing was partying and doing right. drugs. And- stupid shit and um so i was like a really i would i i was like a i was really on a good path um i met my son's father i became a mother 11 days after i became a mother i then became a cancer patient i started chemotherapy when my son was a month old and like People, when I tell my story now, people are like, I, sometimes I forget to tell that part of my story. And people are like, how the fuck did you forget about when you had cancer? And I'm like, because I was a child in an adult woman's body. I had no coping skills to deal with any of the things that were happening. I was literally on Right, of course, yeah. When they handed me my diagnosis and they told me it wasn't a death sentence and it wasn't my fucking kid, I did exactly the thing that my parents had tried to teach me to do the entire time I was alive, which was that military mentality, which is you drink water and you drive on, you get over it. It doesn't matter how you get over it, you figure it out and you get over it. And for the first time in my life, when I became a mom and this like perfect tiny little person who needed me was there and I had to 
put on my big girl pants and get it fucking done. That's what I did. And that's why I forget that it's even part of my story because like literally I did not digest any of it as it was happening. I was just like, oh my God, I can't drink because of chemo. I got a kid, but I got through it. Um, What cancer did you have, if you don't mind me asking? I had um, stage two lymphoma. I had a, it took a mass out of my neck right here. I've got this super hardcore scar right here. I I see it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they, I had a mass in my lungs, so I oh my thank goodness. God they were, both, they were both above the diaphragm. But yeah, I was just grateful it wasn't my kid. I was like, dude, if God takes me out right now, like, I mean, I was just grateful it wasn't my son. Like, straight up, I did not care as long as it wasn't my sure. kid. Yeah. yeah. An observation I want to share with you. It's surprising that, because this is exactly how my tale went. Quit drinking, quit drugs dry i wasn't in a program as of yet but five months after that boom there i get my cancer diagnosis went through the trial and the error of finding out the kind of cancers there are the kind of treatments blah 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 i go into remission and now from that stage going forward i adopt the same mentality as you you know when you've had this terrible phase because you and i were very very fortunate to have survived and overcome this ordeal yeah but it's more like afterwards there's a period and i'm i hope it was the same for you after i got into remission i had a little bit of a depression period which we now call cancer survivorship but afterwards when a problem springs forth problem no matter how small or how big it's more like ah, doesn't phase me do you have that same mentality? Because it's more like a fact of, you know what, I've been through the, I've been through hell and back. I feel yeah. almost untouchable. So, you know what, this is, this, whatever comes forth means absolutely nothing to me. It means pupkis. I did. I did have, um, I had like this weird mix. I had that weird, like, I've already been through so much shit, like nothing can really touch me now. And then I also had this absolutely catastrophizing every small thing because I was so used to the worst case scenario. I was like, no way this is going to, my luck was just so awful. Like right after I had, you know, and I went into remission, then my son's father and I split up. He was sleeping with my best friend while I was pregnant. Then I had to go through this long custody battle with him. And this is all while I was not having any skills to cope with any of that shit. And I was just flying through. I was like a child with a checkbook. I was just writing checks for attorneys in and out of court with this man. And like, I literally had this, like, nothing can be worse than what I've been through, but everything that kept happening was fucking worse and worse. Like what my son's father did to me was worse. The shit he put me through while we were together should he put me through after i can't say anything more than that because we had a of course, of course, lot of, of money course. saying that i wouldn't up, like say anything about him in public but like that dude was not a very good dude um mm. there's a lot of trauma from that relationship like a lot of trauma a lot of like things i had to work through and um when i got out on my own and my son and i were by ourselves it was like i had and the cancer was done. I was in remission. All the court shit was done. It was like everything caught up with me. Everything that I had stuffed so far down mm-hmm. and just autopilot 
piled through and just like plowed through all this shit, it caught up with me. And I did the only thing I've ever known how to make feeling uncomfortable go away, which was drink. And I don't even know where that invisible line got crossed, Chris, between like drinking just to like relax after work and then like being a maintenance drinker and having to have it in my system before I got out of bed. Like I was not getting out of bed. I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night just to stop from having the shakes. And I have no idea where that line got crossed. Cause mind you, I just bought a new SUV. I was in and out of boardrooms with five executives and a CEO. Like I was doing the goddamn thing. I was getting all the professional accolades. I literally did not understand like what was happening as it was happening. And that was my rationale. I was spinning out of control, but I was still handling all my fucking business. So I was like, what is everyone's problem? Like I have to do this to survive and provide for my child. So this is my business, not yours. And I didn't understand why everyone was so concerned because I was in so much denial about my problem. Like I did not know that I was an alcoholic until 13 days into detox. Like it did not hit me. Like I thought I was gonna go into rehab and come out a normal drinker. I thought I was just stressed out. I was like, I had a rough couple of fucking years. Anybody would be having an alcohol problem after dealing with my son's father and dealing with cancer and dealing with everything else. I thought I just needed some therapy. I had no idea that I was gonna be abstinent from alcohol. I had no idea. And when I figured that out, it hit me like a goddamn brick on a barge. I was like, holy shit, I'm an alcoholic. Like my surrender was just like wild. It it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> Are you willing to talk about that moment we, that wild phase of just saying, I can't anymore. Are you willing to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had destroyed every relationship I had. Like none of my friends wanted to be around me. I either had said sorry way too many times or I just severed the relationship altogether because I didn't want to say sorry anymore. I had no one. My dad was terrified. He asked my boyfriend to like watch after me because he was so scared because I would do everything I normally did. I would go to the office. I would go to the grocery store. I'd cook dinner. I'd put my kid to bed. I'd wake up the next morning and have no recollection of it. And my boyfriend was like, I told your family that I would watch out for you, but I can't because I don't know when you're fucked up. You do everything you normally do, but you have no recollection of it the next day. And like, that was kind of scary when he told me that. And then shortly after that, my son, you know, he would make comments about how, um, he didn't like when I drank wine because, you know, mommy gets sad when she drinks. And that hit me really hard because I thought, you know, my kid's got like the nicest Air Maxes. He's got fresh ass like kicks and like awesome clothes and all the toys. But like none of that shit matters if like I'm fighting through tears when I put him to bed, because literally when I drank, I would think of all the saddest shit that ever happened in my life. And I would just sit on it and just like it would eat me alive. All the shit I like never dealt with my entire life would all come to the surface when I drank. And um, 
I tried to stop. I tried to stop on my own so many times. I tried to moderate. I tried to mix the milk and the whiskey and the sandwich and the blah. I did all the fucking things and um, I could not stop. I was hospitalized for um, withdrawals. I didn't know there were withdrawals. Um, I finally was like, dude, I, I don't know what the problem is, but I know people that went to rehab. Maybe I'll give it a try. Um, so I picked up the phone. I Googled this luxury rehab place because my bougie ass was like, I want to go where fucking Lindsay Lohan went. Um, <laughs> and I went, I went like they, I bought a plane ticket. I told my office that I'm taking a leave of absence. And um, I told my parents and they were like, oh my God, thank God. And I was like, really? Cause apparently everyone knew I had a problem except for me. And um I went to rehab and I fought it so hard. I went to detox. And when I got there, I was terrified. I saw like all these people off the street, all these like people that were just like dope sick. And I was like, when I got down there, I was like, now I know I'm not an alcoholic and an addict. These people are addicts and alcoholics. I'm nothing like these people. Like I was just comparing out the entire time. They had to send three dudes in my room one night because I started freaking out and throwing shit and like breaking everything in my room because I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave AMA. I wanted to go home. I was scared. It was like a total fear response. It was not that I was angry that I was there. It was because I knew that like I had a problem and I realized where I was and how bad it had gotten. And I was terrified. And um, I fought leaving every single day. And then finally, God sent this angel into my room. Her name was Rita and she was a tech there and she sat my ass down after they got like three big ass dudes to come in there to calm me down. And she said, look, I know this is scary. I know you miss your kid. If not for anything else, just stay here, keep your ears open, listen. And if for nothing else, just worry about yourself. All day long, you take care of your son, you take care of your CEO, you take care of your executives, you take care of everyone else all day long. If nothing else, just take this time to fucking take care of you right now and think about what you need. And she's like, will you do that for me? Will you try to do that for me? And I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. And like, I went into groups the next day and I listened and I, they gave me a big book and I opened the big book and I just like started plowing through page after page after page of my story. Just like what was going on with like the wiring up here that I could never articulate or explain to any therapist or a doctor or my parents or my friends, like this powerlessness that I didn't understand even existed. And I was in the shower one night and the girl, my, one of my roomies was flat ironing her hair. And I just started like crying in the shower. And I was like, oh my God, like I am an alcoholic. I'm a fucking alcoholic, Alex. And she's like, well, that's why you're here. And I was like, no, like I'm an alcoholic. Like I, I have a problem. And um, I just, that was my surrender in that shower with homegirl, flat iron her hair next to me. Like that is when it hit me that like, this is what I have to do. Like this is now I have to, now I know that I, I have a problem. I'm not in denial anymore. 
and I don't know any other way to fix it. And these people are going to tell me how to fix it. And all I have to fucking do is listen. And that's what I did. And that was in August of 2020. And I've been in recovery ever since when I literally said, I don't know what to do. Tell me how to fix this and tell me what I need to do to stay sober. That's what I've done ever since. Every 24 hours it comes, I just say, tell me what the fuck I need to do today. Because I don't fucking know. I tried doing it my way. And we saw where that (laughs) got. You know? So, yeah. Can I say, I'm proud of the person that I see here before me. Because because you, you say it with such conviction. And it takes a real person to admit that they're wrong, that they were wrong, past tense. Secondly, that they are sick. And thirdly, that they actually went the extra mile to say, I'm going to get better. But the only way I'm going to get better is by listening. But secondly, spreading the message. In my books, you are 10, 20 steps ahead of the next person. And look, I I concur. It's confusing. Do you think by any given frame of measure that this what you and I are doing now was pre-made in the cerebral cortex of mine? The cerebral cortex is perverted. The cerebral <laughs> cortex, if I don't, by any given frame of measure, keep it in check, <laughs> I'm going to go absolutely bananas. Yes. But you really take it on with such maturity. And, you know, I've met a lot of people in my own native country who... You know, they want to walk around with the big naughty badge on the shoulder that I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, insert whatever negative label. And everyone must feel sorry for me because I made a made a big boo-boo. But it's the polar opposite of that. We have to take responsibility for our actions more so than what we do the normies. But that doesn't mean that we can't have fun. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't tell you how my, how I am enjoying life now, doing the things that I love. Read like you like you yourself. I didn't know I was smart. I thought I was a fuckwit. And learning and doing the things that I enjoy, painting, poetry, whatever the case may be, because those endorphins that flow through my system gets me out of my funk if I'm feeling perhaps in a funky mode or whatever the case may be. Or for that fact, someone comes to me and says, listen, I've got a problem. Then for the first time, I'm actually patient. I can listen to people and not retort with a sense of, oh, you, you've got nothing to worry about, you fucking loser. If you want to talk, if you want to see a fucking loser, take a good look in front of you. But that said, I'm a far more empathetic person today if it wasn't for the fact that I was brought down to my knees. And does it, because the fact that maybe, sure, I curse maybe a little bit too much or for that fact, uh, I don't think the way other people think socioeconomically or politically for that fact, does it make me any less before my higher power, which is God? Of course not. He loves me exactly the way that I am. It's just that now because of the fact the problem as it were has now come to the fray now our real character starts to shine through and that's what i'm starting to see through you in a long-winded fashion and if no one else says it because i'm sure you don't expect the kudos but you can give yourself a good tap on the shoulder for the progress that you have made you're a living example of the program now let's talk about this year since from going from 2020 2021 into 2022 i'm sure you must be seeing life through a a completely different lens 
Were there moments where people in your past have come to you and said, listen, you're not the the woman that I knew from seven years ago and where you must have gone to them and said, I'm sorry and whatnot. Have you had those experiences of just saying, wow, life is so beautiful? Oh, God, yes. I mean, the person I am now is a completely... I mean, I feel like this, the person I am now, I can't even say it's who I used to be. It's a person I never, I never was. I never knew I could be. I didn't know that I could, um, I didn't know that I could not have a constant fear of everything. I'm still very fearful. I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of being used. I'm afraid of being left. I'm afraid of not knowing how things are going to happen and I want to have control over everything. I have to give that over every day, multiple times a day. But like the awareness and like being aware of my character defects and like being able to have an honest conversation. Like I'm talking to this dude right now and like I felt insecure. I felt like, you know, pushing him away. I felt like doing all these things that are my default and like now I can have like an honest and loving conversation about like what's going on with me and peeling back a couple of those layers like and that goes for any instance some girl confronted me on social media the other day because I unfollowed her and she was like you know I thought like I didn't I didn't understand like what did I do and you know I was I wrote this whole long thing that wanted to be like that's the pettiest shit I ever heard like don't come in my DMs and ask me about like and I erased that whole thing and I just got honest with her I said look I saw a bunch of comments from dudes on your post that like used to comment on mine and like I got jealous and that was like a huge moment like I was very honest I was like I got jealous like I don't know why I care like She's like, oh my God, like, really? Like, that's so, and I was like, yes, like, you're pretty. And like, I don't know, like guys that are hot that used to like engage with me that don't really engage with me anymore and now are engaging with you. And like, I got jealous and it like triggered my my ego. And like, I told her this, the random girl on social media and we had a very adult and transparent conversation about it. And like, that is amazing that I- I was about to say that. something else, isn't it? Yeah, like, what? Why would I say that? Well, like, that's where I'm at. I live with rigorous fucking honesty as much as it kills me, you know? <laughs> yes, it was oh, yeah. Laugh about it. It's ridiculous. Well, I have to. This is not about me, but if I could impart maybe something. <laughs> when my father left my mother, my mother and I, look, we can fight like cats and dogs. We share a house and uh, she will be 60 this year. I will be 30. And we have a more uh, a brother and sister relationship. Look, I still respect her as my parent. That's the given. But when my father left my mother, that relationship took a whole nother dimension. And we made each other a promise. And we we promised each other, if not once per day, preferably more, but once per day, laugh not <laughs> find the humorous and everything no matter how <laughs> how fucked up the situation might be we're still gonna find something to laugh about so i often tell my friends i've got a very dark sense of humor because they might think oh my goodness this is disgusting i'd be like that's fucking hilarious yeah 
<laughs> yeah. I have a dark, twisted sense of humor, too. I mean, if I think about the stupid shit I did in my dark days, I laugh about it. I mean, from getting drunk for my law exam, uh, writing a law exam and suffering with a hangover afterwards and, uh, you know, getting pulled over by the police. And, you know, I keep on telling them I'm not drunk, but. Uh, you know, they have that idea because you've got like an empty energy can, uh, energy drink can in your drink hold of your vehicle. You have substances. I laugh about those experiences because it's the past and there's a life lesson attached to it. And I don't know if you've heard the saying, but if there were to be a landing, like when, when a plane comes down for landing, if there's any kind of landing that you walk away from, it's a good landing. So yes. There, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. So yes. ultimately, at the end of the day, you can laugh about it because you've 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 walked away with such a life experience from it that is enriching you as a person. And people don't have to understand it. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine because they're a normie. We're sober. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. Yes. <laughs> but I love your outlook on life, Haley, and I'm not saying it to soft soap you because you're on my show talking about your honesty here. But I have to say, you're taking it such in your stride. I'm dumbfounded, almost. Thank you. But I'm guessing as well, you still have a hard time accepting compliments. Am I right in that regard? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. But you did yeah. say you you live in fear, you know, you live you live in fear of being left. So I think that could also be a byproduct of that. Totally fine, because then at the end of the day, it acts like an alarm bell of sorts. And hear me why I say this, because people are predatory and they might come with this, you know, when you throw bait into the water to catch a fish, that could be like the bait they use to try and reel you in and then their true character comes to light and then it's Dante's Inferno. Yes. But I but I do mean it when I say you're very, very mature about this and it's not, not everyone can boast with that. And I also appreciate the fact that you are weary that you don't have control over this. I mean, we lost a good friend, you and I. Well, you had lost a good friend. I only knew the person by reputation from uh, Serenity Collection, uh, um, Martin, who, who passed away. And, he, and I mean, he had yonks and yonks of sobriety. And then just one fine day, something happened and whammo. Yeah. He fell back. Yeah. So having that, 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 that thought that we can, we can fall back in our old ways and it could be twice as worse, is something that should not be overlooked. We should be vigilant always yes. in what we do to make yes. sure that we don't fall off the wagon. Yes, I was just gonna say that I have in, I have little sayings that I have written down and stay vigilant is one that's on my mirror. Stay vigilant because my disease loves to tell me that I have this figured out. Loves to tell me that because my obsession and my desire to drink's been lifted, which happened pretty early, um, is actually a very dangerous place for me to be because my disease loves to tell me that I was overreacting. I wasn't really an addict or an alcoholic and that, you know, and it doesn't tell me that I can have one 
I can drink. It just tells me that like, maybe you're not as bad as you thought you were. And like, that is an absolute, um, like sneak attack, like from my disease, trying to get me alone, trying to get me vulnerable, trying to um, bring me closer to a drink. And I have stayed vigilant on different surfaces of my home because it reminds me, just snaps me out of that. Like you, you are an alcoholic and an act every day. Every morning that I open up my eyes in the morning, I remind myself that I am an alcoholic and an addict. Second to that, I say that I am powerless over whatever happens that day because I like to control everything, as I said. But the first thing I do is remind myself that I'm an alcoholic and that right. I have to do this thing every day. Because if I don't, I will die. Like so, I'm not, I, I, I will die. Like there is no, no question about it. Here's another one that you can add to your window. Sobriety, yeah. sobriety or recovery. Choose which one of the two you feel is applicable. Recovery every day, all day. All right. Recovery is not owned. It's rented. And yes. rent is due every day. Love it. Yes. Bringing it to a close now, Haley. what are some of the life lessons that you've learned in your walk from then until now? And if you could impart some wisdom on my audience who might be listening, what will you say to them if they are to be sober curious or their backs against the wall? What would you impart upon them? Um, all I can speak to is my experience. And when I was sober curious or thought I needed to examine my relationship with alcohol, a lot that kept me from doing that was shame. And um, I did not believe that I deserved to be better or get better. I was so ashamed of things I had done an active addiction that weren't who I was, but happened that I did not honestly believe um, that I deserve to get well. I would just implore anyone to find forgiveness and self-love. I did not have any self-love when I first got into recovery. It took a really long time to rewire the deprecation that I brought onto myself and the negative self-talk because that is also part of my disease. Um, know that you are worth it, that you deserve grace and forgiveness because if you do believe in a higher power, that is what a higher power would do. And you deserve the quality of life that you want to have. And you can have everything you want if you if you give it a chance, but don't try to do it alone. We cannot do this alone. Amen, I can't agree more. Haley, this has been such a conversation and a half. You were sparkling beyond words. And oh you. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I won't flatter you. Thank you for your transparency. And you know what? I hope you feel the same, but I'm thrilled to have made a new friend in the United States, a country I adore, a country I respect that taught me the, the values that I adore, that gave me the education that I need. Congratulations on a more than a year of sobriety. Keep fighting that good fight. And I'm edging you on. I'm edging yeah. you on. <laughs> yeah, stop, Chris. God bless you, dearest. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor. I appreciate you. 
so it is here where we have to make a pit stop. But don't fret, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, tell your friends, join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Podcast One. Until we see you again, this was having a cuppa for the week. See you soon.